Welcome to the Not AFib podcast, powered by the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. My name is Mark Flaughter. The National Fire Academy's Emergency Medical Services curriculum provides leadership and management education, leadership skills, futuristic vision, and networking for EMS responders. These courses are designed and delivered to improve EMS system development and management to better serve communities. The EMS curriculum focuses on two areas, system management and mass casualty incident, MCI, slash disaster management. The system management courses address the implementation, maintenance, and improvement of system components, knowledge, skills, and abilities applicable to EMS system leaders at all levels are addressed and practiced through facilitated education and practical activities. The MCI slash disaster management courses address medical EMS components of the National Incident Management System, Incident Command System, NIMS slash ICS, knowledge, skills, and abilities for planning, knowledge, skills, and abilities for planning for events, incidents, developing organizational structures, resource management, and documentation for incident management at the complex, operational, and incident support levels are practiced through activities and exercises based on real-world events and incidents. In addition to resident student opportunities at the Emmitsburg, Maryland campus, the EMS curriculum also offers locally hosted, delivered field courses and online mediated, instructor-facilitated courses, providing opportunities to local and state EMS organizations, students who cannot travel to the main campus to participate, participate in the most current forward-thinking and pertinent training available. And that is excerpt from the Emergency Medical Services curriculum offered by the U.S. Fire Administration's National Fire Academy. Joining me today, I am pleased to have Michael Stern, the training specialist at the National Fire Academy for the EMS curriculum. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, um, let's talk a little bit about you. Like like myself, you are a veteran of the U.S. Navy, but unlike myself, you made the Navy your career. Um, and what year did you retire from the Navy? Actually, I did not retire. It was not a career. Oh, okay. I, I only did 10 years. Okay. I got to that middle mark uh, and got an, an EMS, a county EMS agency training officer position offered to me and chose uh, halfway through the Navy to go ahead and move back to local government, which then led back to the federal government. So what was your introduction to EMS prior to you taking that position? Uh, when I was a teenager, I was bored one day and went over to the fire station, asked how I could ride an ambulance. A local volunteer company in Prince George's County, Maryland, Company 18 Glendale, uh, and at the time, it, well, it still is a combined fire EMS volunteer career system. Uh, when I walked in and said I was interested in an ambulance, they quickly said, it's all yours. Okay. So um, so then the Navy, and then you mentioned the local government. Um, how long did you uh, serve with the, at the local government level? Uh, at that point, uh, after the Navy and before the National Fire Academy, I spent right at ten, uh, eight years in Colorado, in Summit County and Grand County, 
I started in Summit County there as a as a a municipal third service county government owned uh, ambulance service as the training officer. Did a lot of uh, teaching for them as well as community college as well as the uh, med control hospital that we used for a lot of our continuing education, uh, the trauma center. Uh, and then uh, while I was teaching uh, an intermediate class at the time for the community college, uh, Grand County recruited me across the border to be their training officer. And I stayed with them about five years of that eight uh, and left there as the county deputy EMS chief and actually their emergency manager. I got to, to learn that aspect of public safety uh, as well. Okay. So what brought you to the federal level, to the National Fire Academy? Was uh, was it an easy transition for you? Was it something that you had been looking to do? Or was it something that uh, unexpectedly came into your, uh, into your field of view? Fairly unexpectedly. So when I started as a volunteer firefighter before the Navy uh, and EMT, and because it was a combined system, uh, they wanted me to go through fire school, did recruit school, did firefighter one, all the all the fun classes to ride engines and and towers and as well as the ambulance, uh, and got to do a variety of stuff while I was active duty. Uh, I was stationed in Bremerton, Washington, in San Diego, in Virginia, uh, as typical. You move around the country, and mm-hmm. but I I maintained uh, as much as I could. Maintained volunteering as a firefighter, even got some per diem uh, part-time gigs uh, in in fire departments and in EMS, uh, moving around the country, wherever I was stationed. Uh, so I get I got to expand uh, more experience, knowledge, skills, and abilities as a firefighter and EMT, and then eventually got myself through paramedic school at night, um, in addition to being a corpsman at, well, during the day. Uh, and kept working in that field, both on the fire side and the EMS side, then went to Colorado. While I was in Colorado, I learned about the National Fire Academy, even though I, I and I tell this story to my students here, I started here in Maryland, uh, learned to ski for those that have been to the National Fire Academy right up the road here at, at Liberty Ski Resort, uh, but never knew the National Fire Academy was here, even though I had apparently driven past it. When I got to Colorado in Summit County, uh, the chief at the time uh, was Sean Caffrey. Some of you know him. Uh, handed me an application to the National Fire Academy and said, hey, go take this class. And I'm like, okay, what's this place? I've never heard of it. Uh, went back east, took the class. At the time, of that class was EMS Special Operations. Uh, it was an ICS 300-level class. And I-, I took the class, loved the atmosphere the education the hands-on practical experience the networking i stayed in touch with some of those co-students uh fellow students for many years thereafter um and just kept taking more classes when i got to grand county uh we had a few incidents in that county and they they moved they reorganized emergency management to fall under ems uh, in that county. It was the only countywide emergency response agency. Even though the sheriff was countywide, they had towns with police departments. So uh, they handed emergency management to the EMS chief. The EMS chief, in good fashion, turned to the deputy chief, me, and said, congratulations, you're now an emergency manager. 
I reached out to people I knew, and they told me about the Emergency Management Institute, also in Emmitsburg, Maryland, on the same campus. So I started taking those classes as well and got to know the campus and the facility a little better. Uh, and then one day I saw uh, the, the position announced for the training specialist for the EMS program. I applied just because it seemed like the professionally right thing to do for the next step in a career. Uh, and much to my surprise, they offered me the position. Uh, and here I am. And how long have you been the training specialist uh, for the emergency medical services uh, program? I've been here since September 2008, so a little over 15 years. Outstanding. Outstanding. And as the training specialist curriculum manager, tell us a little bit about what what your duties entail, what some of your responsibilities are up at the National Fire Academy. Primarily, my responsibility is maintaining, managing the curriculum in the EMS program. So making sure that the classes are uh, applicable to the EMS community, uh, necessary, appropriate. Uh, the content fits the objectives. Objectives meet appropriate knowledge, skills, and abilities to meet the needs of the nation's fire and EMS services, in my case, specific to EMS within that, uh, for a variety of factors. And then uh, doing the, the recruiting and management of the instructors. And one of the things we do here, as you know, is we contract instructors from across the country so we can bring in subject matter expertise from different aspects, different perspectives, different parts of the country, because the East Coast, the West Coast, the, the Rocky Mountains, even though we're all the same, we are also all that different. And they all have different experiences. The wildland fires of California are much different than the brush fires of the East Coast. Uh, looking at it from that perspective, the the uh, contracting out to private EMS in some cities in this country versus volunteer services that run all of EMS in much of rural America versus the career services in the large metros that do it all themselves. There are a lot of different aspects and trying to bring those SMEs in from all those different uh, backgrounds rather than just Mike's opinion in front of the classroom six days a week. Right. And, you, and you're exactly right. You touched on it uh, a, a few minutes ago um, regarding not only the networking, but contracting um, the, the exposure from all areas of the country uh, is is unique. Um, just last month I was up, as you know, for the emergency, uh, EMS quality management program, um, spoke to, we had a, a gentleman in our class from Delaware, um, and was completely unaware uh, of how they ran their system in Delaware, but got to find out how they run EMS in Delaware, which differs greatly from where I am here in St. Louis County, Missouri. Um, so that exposure is, is, is unique. Um, it's enlightening. Uh, and can also provide opportunities to go back and improve the service uh, in your own backyard. So let's go ahead and jump into what the National Fire Academy offers for EMS providers. Um, I remember one of my trips to the to up to Emmitsburg, uh, hearing something along the lines of less than ten percent of fire and EMS providers in the United States even attend courses at the National Fire Academy. Uh, is that correct? Are we in the right ballpark when we talk about the number of people 
that are attending or even aware of these courses? Absolutely. I believe the superintendent uses the number of 2% of fire and EMS service ever step foot on the campus here in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And that's one of the reasons we try to do off-campus classes and online classes as well. Um, so what does, what does um, talk, talk to us a little bit about your program, your EMS curriculum. Um, you mentioned one of the courses uh, that you took, the EMS Special Operations. I mentioned the EMS Quality Management course. Um, when we talked uh, from the curriculum, you mentioned, or the curriculum mentions both um, system management as well as um, the mass casualty disaster management courses. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what each different component offers uh, to students that come uh, up to the National Fire Academy. Okay, well, let me back up with some history uh, to help lay the groundwork a little bit. Please. Uh, in 2008, uh, the reauthorization for the U.S. Fire Administration, which is congressional action for the agency to do what the agency does, uh, wa was off was approved or passed by Congress. So October 1st, 2008, that year's reauthorization uh, included the words emergency medical services for the first time. Uh, prior to that, there were some classes here. They were doing some EMS. Uh, but it wasn't spelled out in the law. Just people in the U.S. Fire Administration had realized there was some relationship between fire and EMS. In some areas of our country, a whole lot of relationship. They do both. Uh, so they were already doing some stuff. When the law changed, the reauthorization changed, the, the wording that was added uh, still is, uh, the National Fire Academy shall provide advanced emergency medical services training. Now, uh, first, we had to define that because, uh, as you well know, and, and the audience, I'm sure, is well aware, advanced emergency medical services has at least 50 definitions across 50 states, probably many more definitions than that. So we had to figure out what that meant. Uh, and then we had to figure out what that meant within the National Fire Academy because there's probably stuff we shouldn't be doing. Uh, so we brought together uh, two rounds of steering committees. We brought in subject matter experts from across the country, uh, East Coast, West Coast, urban, rural, uh, volunteer, career, et cetera. And then the second round we brought in, all, we invited all of the national associations, every acronym we could come up with, we invited, as well as our federal partners. We reached out to NHTSA Office of EMS, Health and Human Services, uh, et cetera, we invited them all into the room. And we asked them all, what does advanced emergency medical services mean, training mean? Uh, we asked them what fits for the National Fire Academy, what does not fit for the National Fire Academy. And there were several topics that came up that we were able to look around the room and say, hey, this really applies to that association better or applies to NHTSA EMS better uh, and not NFA. Uh, so we narrowed it down and identified first, we don't, we aren't going to do patient care, patient care education, which most people, when they hear advanced EMS are thinking, uh, at that time, intermediates at this time, advanced EMTs, paramedics, uh, more, so more and more critical care paramedics and community paramedics. Most people think clinical. And that's what our profession is pretty much built on. 
but we hit, we we looked at that and said, well, NIT's Office of EMS writes that curriculum. Uh, they pass that out. They they make that available for the nation, and and our states are really responsible for implementing that stuff. And every state does does patient care in a different way. In some states, it's delegated to lower levels. We're not going to touch that. However, they, they, the steering committees identified two areas that are really not addressed by anybody else, definitely not consistently across the nation, uh, that really fit in our wheelhouse. Uh, one of them being leadership management, education, and training specific to EMS. Now, I think we all know it, it, leadership and management, you can go get a college degree, you get many college degrees, you can take lots of classes, uh, and leadership and management is, at the surface level, leadership and management. You, you can go places and, and learn that. Uh, however, dealing with that in EMS, even though there's fire service stuff, dealing with that in EMS does have some intricacies. And there is nothing consistent for EMS out there. NFPA has standards for fire officers. Many jurisdictions have fire officer academies. Uh, I, I was able to visit FDNY last year with one of our new EMS classes that we'll talk about, I'm sure. Uh, and I learned, and the reason they invited us up there with our new class was when one of their fire personnel is promoted to lieutenant captain, whenever that might be, they're taken off of their rig, they're sent out to their fire academy, and they go through lieutenant school, a captain school, whatever that is. They successfully complete that, hopefully and are assigned to their new position as a lieutenant or captain, whatever it is. EMS doesn't do that. EMS, across our nation, FDNY just being one example, but across our nation, in some cases, you're promoted because you taught a good class last week. You were a good paramedic instructor, so you should be able to be a lieutenant. Uh, or in some cases, congratulations, you showed up today, you're in charge. Uh, now, other places have civil service, great, that approves your promotion, but how do you learn what to do? So that was identified, leadership management specifically in the mass, as an, an area that NFA needed to address advanced EMS training. The other aspect, which is very related and very specific to the National Fire Academy, as you said, as part of the U.S. Fire Administration, is part of FEMA and part of the Department of Homeland Security. We all have to play together for these large incidents. Large incidents have more and more in the last few decades involved agencies working together that had never heard of each other before, let alone actually work together. I use the example of Hurricane Michael a few years ago in Florida. We had almost 300 ambulances from across the nation converge in western Florida before landfall of Hurricane Michael. And they had to play together, whether they were from Colorado or Georgia or Maryland or Pennsylvania or Ohio, using the same language. Now, I know because NIMS came out long before I came to, to the National Fire Academy, that a lot of us call things differently in our own agencies, and we understand how to use that, what to ask for in our own agency. However, when you're playing together and you got 300 ambulances from 20 different states sitting in a parking lot, I'm a rescue, you're a medic, she's uh, an ambulance, somebody else is something else. And then we start calling them buses and trucks. 
then somebody gets on the radio and says something and we're all speaking foreign languages or the wrong resource shows up, the outcome for the patient doesn't go quite as well. We make a headline. We can prevent some of that by playing together, at least understanding what the rules are. Yes, everyone has the pieces of paper that says they took ICS-100 200. Having the experience to actually do that and implement it is a little different. We're in a hands-on profession in EMS. We learn how to do IVs not by reading a book, but by actually doing it. Same thing with airways. If we don't do airways regularly, we don't do it well. That has been written about many times. ICS is similar. It's a skill you must maintain. Well, you need to learn to do it right first, experience it, and then maintain it. So that fits into our wheelhouse as well. It's, it's incident management, but specific to EMS. Because when you go take ICS classes, usually EMS is treatment transport, move on. Here at NFA, we can do more with that, especially since we have a command and control program that does incident simulation already. I'm able to mimic off of that to a great extent. So we were so that so that's where we started. Uh, well, not where we started, but that was the the new language, the new hey, how are we going to do this? What's the future look like? So since 2008, we put effort based on the outcomes of those steering committees. Those are the two arenas that we're gonna we're gonna go after. We're gonna provide education and training, uh, and we have been revising the classes that existed back then and developing new classes. The EMS quality management that you just mentioned was actually the first new class we rolled out back then. I think it came out in 2010-ish. Uh, and that one was specific to, we know in every state, some form of QA program is required. And in many states, they're not exactly teaching you how to do the thing. They just say you have to do it. So not only is there a whole lot of variety, but there's a whole lot of, so what does that mean? So we were asked during that steering committee to create a class, and that was the first one we did, uh, to identify the needs, the gaps, what's needed across the country, not to say thou shalt do it ABC, uh, but more so how do you build a program in, in this case, quality management. Uh, in other cases, like on the incident command side, uh, EMS incident operations is how do you do the EMS pieces? We can, NFA can simulate the high rise fire, but what are those ICS pieces of staging, of hauling equipment up to the fire at the floor below the fire, about using the community room as a treatment center or the lobby of the high rise apartment complex as a, as a triage point, et cetera. So, 2008, you mentioned you're off and running. EMS quality management was the first course. What are some of the other courses uh, offered under that management uh, umbrella that we uh, that we just discussed? Okay, so on the on the system management, the leadership management side, uh, not that they're exclusive, but on that side of what we're working on the EMS curriculum. We have the management of EMS, Management of Emergency Medical Services class, which is a two-week class only offered on our campus. The current version uh, is basically for anyone that has something to do with managing EMS in their system. Uh, I believe the selection criteria 
states, middle managers. But as we know, middle management of EMS in any given agency across the, the country has a whole lot of titles. Uh, and the same person in some agencies, the same person is the first line supervisor, the middle manager, and the chief. In other agencies, it's broken up more extensively. Uh, but management of emergency medical services uh, is two weeks long. It's here in Amherstburg, Maryland. Uh, pretty much everybody that has something to do with managing an EMS system. And it goes through everything from prioritization to time management to counseling employees to building a training program. Uh, a lot of breadth. I will say not as much depth in any given topic. Uh, because it's it's an introduction of, hey, it, as a middle manager, there's a whole lot of stuff. Now, something we are doing with that class is rewriting it or revising it into three new classes. We are breaking up the levels, um, and we had some interaction with the uh, pillars, the, the seven pillars of EMS officers from National EMS Management Association. I hope I got their title right. Uh, we you were able, right as we were looking at how to revise the management of EMS class. Uh, we actually had some input from one of their board members at the time uh, to crosswalk some of the objectives we were we were already working on uh, and help us down the path of their the first line supervisors are one category, middle managers, which may be the captains, the battalion chiefs, whatever that kind of rank is uh, for the agencies that use that. And then the third level being the chief officers, the executive officers of whatever ranks those are. Uh, with the idea being, uh, we really need to focus some aspects of those things at the appropriate level. A first line supervisor doesn't necessarily know how to write budgets, but they need to know how to ask questions, how to present things. Whereas a chief officer, needs to speak a different language because they're selling a budget to a city council, a mayor, or whatever that is. There, there's a political aspect to that. Uh, just as an example of how to split that up. Uh, we had success uh, in rolling out the supervising emergency medical services uh, which class, which is a two-day first-line EMS supervisor class. Uh, way more material, way more stuff. We had to cut it down in two days. It's just the tip of the spear, as someone put it. Uh, but we intentionally kept it to two days so that it could be offered off campus across the country, knowing that there are so many EMS supervisors out there that will never come to, to Emmitsburg. Uh, we kept it, we limited it to two days. And that was the class FDNY reached out. I was able to take up there to teach uh, what we had an instructor teaching, but I was there to assist. Uh, so that's the first line supervisor. The second uh, and third classes, the middle managers and the chief officers were still working on names to be determined. They're, they're using the old names, but the names will be uh, identified during the development process. Each of those are somewhere along the path. I, I can't necessarily say halfway or three quarters of the way. They're in progress. Uh, we, like everybody else listening, are, are short staff. We're, we're having the, the same employment recruitment retention issues that everybody else is. So a few challenges here. Uh, so those will be the new series. And they're not really a series because some people may only take one of those classes. Chiefs aren't going to go back and take a first-line supervisor. Some people make it to EMS lieutenant and never make it to chief by choice or not. So it's not it's a series, but it's not a series. 
Um, those, those are the key leadership classes. Uh, but then tied to that, EMS quality management, which you took, uh, is all about process improvement. Uh, it is not, and, and I emphasize this uh, repetitively, and the instructors emphasize it during class, it's not about how to read a patient care report and discipline people because they missed a box. It's about how do you improve a process based on data you collect, primarily through your patient care report. And that process can be applied to patient care or it can be applied to how you buy ambulances or how you hire people. I mean, it's a process that you're improving. Uh, the process of process improvement is what the class is really about. Uh, and one of the things that that class brought to the MS curriculum that I'm trying to use in a lot of future classes or as we build classes uh, is practical application, not just death by PowerPoint. Although we use a lot of PowerPoint in a lot of classes, EMS quality management is a perfect example of students have to identify and work on a project before they get here. Throughout class, they go through the steps during the day, you practice the steps in the classroom, you learn about it, you do it, groups, you network with the people in your, at your table to work through the problems, This is whatever it is. Uh, and then at night, you have homework, just like a real class, uh, to apply those steps to your own thing in quality management. It is whatever process problem statement you brought from your agency. By the end of class, you have practiced it in class. You've applied it to your own project. And then you go back, the last day of class, you share it with your classmates. You go back to your agency with, hey, I identified a problem or a challenge. Here's a process to improve it. And you can take it to your chief. You can take it to your council, whatever you, whoever you report to, and say, hey, here, here's all the pieces I want to fix this and improve this. And here's the reasons. Here's the cost. Here's the process, et cetera. So we do that in EMS quality management. We are revising a research class, uh, which the theory is would kind of parallel with quality management, hot topics research in EMS, uh, similarly identifying a challenge or a problem, but researching the research, going out and looking at learning how to research what's out there. Just because, and this is not a slam on these two entities, uh, or I'll use the one specific, and it's not a slam on GEMS, but just going to GEMS.com and reading an article is not all the information you need to make a decision. It's a starting point for most people. Following the links and determining what peer-reviewed research is actually providing valid evidence for change or to support or not support your, hey, we need to fix this in our agency, uh, is where you need to go with it, not just Gems.com, page one set. Uh, it's a starting point. Uh, so Hot Topics Research in EMS is how to research the research. Take that problem and go find others that have gone deeper into this, preferably peer-reviewed. So that's the external data. If it's in parallel with EMS quality management using your internal data, then we have one heck of an evidence-based decision-making process for our agencies, for our EMS profession across the nation. Uh, so that, that helps the leadership and management aspect of decision-making, critical decision-making. Um, another class we rolled out uh, a year, maybe two years, 18 months-ish before COVID impacted our worlds as we know it. 
Uh, we can't do a podcast without mentioning that. I think, Mark, that's one of the rules. Um, was mobile integrated healthcare program manager. So in the, in the idea of how do you build a program, leadership and management for EMS, uh, how do you build a program? How do you look at a, and evaluate a program, in this case, specific to mobile integrated healthcare? So instead of using some of the more specific terminology of advanced practice paramedics, community paramedics, all, and there are many other terms out there, uh, the subject matter experts we use building the program pointed out if we use mobile integrated healthcare, that's a much broader term. But how do you build that? Some of the programs out there are knee jerk. We want we want to not buy another ambulance and, and staff a crew. We want to save some money there, or we want to get rid of this call type, or we know we have a lot of overdose cases or whatever those knee jerk, uh, in some cases, decisions are. Instead, how can we evaluate what the need of the community is for healthcare? And then how can we address that as an EMS agency? Things as like stakeholders and budgets and program goals and benchmarks and objectives. And then how do you evaluate that? There's some similarity to the quality management program of you're building a process, a bit more robust because you're building a system, not just a process, but a lot of overlap. And then, of course, how do you evaluate it and then make changes and move forward? Uh, so that that class, the Mobile Integrated Healthcare Program Management class, is an online class. It's an instructor-facilitated. We call it NFA online-mediated. It's a seven-week class, uh, entirely online, just like a college or university online class where you have projects, you have homework, you have week-long assignments. You, it is asynchronous, so there is no mandatory beyond at 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning because we know in emergency services and EMS, you all can't plan that way. I can't. I can barely plan that way. And I have a desk job. Uh, so mm -hmm. we we have that that uh, leniency, and it's a week long to accomplish the tasks of that week. But we intentionally did it online because things like sitting down with your, your budget people sitting down with the stakeholders, one of the homework assignments, I, I want to say it's week two, is building the stakeholders list, building interview questions for the stakeholders, but you also have to go out and do either two or three of those interviews. So go sit down with a couple of the people on the stakeholders list, do the interviews, and your homework assignment is to turn in the list of stakeholders, the questions, and two examples that you actually did, which you can't do if you're a captive audience here in Emmitsburg, Maryland. It's much more effective for you to be in your home agency, to be able to call the public health director or the city budget person and say, hey, can we sit down on Tuesday and talk for an hour? I got some questions to start off a project and come back with the results. Even if you can't do all 20 people on the stakeholders list, you can get a couple done and get that experience that you can recreate after class is done. Uh, so that class is online. Right now it's on hold because we we're transitioning our online system, our learning management system, uh, we're, we're transitioning to Blackboard from a different system, uh, and we're just catching up on getting all that transition. So that class will be back. I don't know how fast because it's, it's beyond my control, uh, but it will be back. Very, very uh, in-demand and popular class uh, before we had to take it offline. Uh, so that's the system management side. Uh, we can talk about the incident management, but you have any questions about that? Well, no, no real questions. Just uh, a couple of uh, things I want to emphasize. You meant the last two uh, courses that you talked about 
the uh, the hot topics research, as well as the mobile integrated healthcare program management. I think those are very important courses, and I think very important points to uh, emphasize to our audience is there are not a lot of places around to find that information behind those courses. Um, reading research is, is almost an art in itself, and knowing how to read research, like you mentioned, in order to get the data that you want, that's important to take to the stakeholders, to take to your city councils, to take to your boards, to help build your case for improving the process that you may have identified in the quality management program. So all these very nicely married together um, because you have to learn how to, you have to know how to read the research. Uh, and I think that's one area where uh, I can, I'll admit I struggled. Um, I have attended a couple of small programs and conferences that have talked about research, but having a course in knowing how to read research, knowing, like you mentioned, how to mine the data, how to get what you want out of that to present to your decision makers uh, is very important. Mobile integrated healthcare, I think everybody has looked at it in some way, shape, or form. Um, but having, you mentioned, ha having a roadmap on how to build a program is important. Knowing who your stakeholders are. Uh, I don't know how many EMS uh, leaders, EMS managers know all the different stakeholders that that uh, contribute to their organization. So being to, able to identify those people, I think is important. Community needs assessment, of course, is very important. What type of program do you want to build? I think those are, would be invaluable assets, invaluable courses for people in EMS uh, to take. So I just want to emphasize uh, the, 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 those two points and, and just back up what you mentioned about how, how important those particular programs, those particular classes um, could be moving forward. Um, yes, by all means, let's talk about incident management because I think uh, there have been um, incidents not only recently, but in the past where proper incident management um, is, is key to a successful outcome. Um, you mentioned, I think, uh, the EMS uh, Special Operations uh, was one of the first courses you took. EMS Incident Operations was the very first course that I took at the National Fire Academy almost 10 years ago. Um, I still maintain uh, contacts uh, with some of the, the providers that attended that class with me. So just to reemphasize the networking aspect that you talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, um, Let's talk a little bit about the incident management courses and what they offer to uh, EMS providers. Thanks, Mark. And so the steering committee had identified, and, and I knew it from my experience, but again, not just my opinion, uh, the steering committee had identified that in the mandatory ICS classes and in the agencies across our country, a lot of times, uh, well, pretty much all the time, our EMS providers do patient care. And we're going to make the assumption they do it well. Uh, they do their triage of the treatment, their transport, and that's what they focus on. Uh, but they don't get to EMS providers, do not get to experience the implementation of ICS, even though it's a part of their job. So when an EMS provider is thrown into decision-making roles in ICS, they may make an inappropriate decision. And an example, one of the examples that was brought up that I continue to use is that first ambulance on scene. First, for some reason, 
ambulance shows up before the fire engine. The ambulance shows up and happens to have a junior, maybe even a rookie EMT or paramedic on board. They pull up, the bus is on the side. We don't even have need to, we don't even have to get into the bus hit by the train full of razor blades hit by the plane. It can just be a, a bus on its a tour bus on its side. I know you have an interstate running through your jurisdiction. We have an interstate running through here. Very simple in some cases, but if the ambulance shows up first with a less experienced ICS, less experienced person, those decisions in the first few minutes can set a path for the incident or a tone for the incident that just isn't the best it could be. So how do we get those folks a little more experienced? When you go take ICS classes like ICS 300, a lot of times it's triage treatment transport, it's wildland fires, it's high-rise fires, because that's the background. That's that's who's teaching it. That's the history and tradition of it. How do we get the EMS folks to, one, be able to make better decisions in the ICS process for a larger incident, and two, understand what's going on in the rest of the incident? A lot of EMS folks, even in a combined fire service-based EMS system, do not really know the other side of what's going on. They show up at a call, they do patient care, they do that well, they go on their way. I, I use the example in class, you probably heard me say it, uh, when you call on the radio and say, I need a whole lot more ambulances and they ignore you. Well, for some of us, that may be personal, but in most cases, that's because they're busy. If you're calling the incident commander, they are doing a lot of stuff. They may be juggling uh, needing a whole lot more rescue squads and fire engines and hazmat teams, in addition to needing a whole bunch more ambulances, and they're trying to prioritize that. Good, bad, or otherwise, they're just busy. So understanding that from the EMS perspective helps focus what we need to prioritize for the EMS side. So we developed uh, initially two classes kind of in parallel, the EMS functions and ICS class and the EMS incident operations class. The functions in ICS class is a two-day class, both on and off campus. Uh, and the EMS incident operations class that you experience is a six-day class only on our campus. Uh, and they both go through about 10 scenarios, ranging from car wrecks, bus wrecks, train wrecks, to high-rise fires, to wildland fires, to terrorists, to stadium explosions, to shoot active shooters, to whatever that might be. And you don't always get through all 10. We try. Uh, but we, we the two-day class is tabletop exercises. The six-day class is put on cool reflective vests, talk on the radio, move the triage tags. And here in Emmitsburg, we take over pretty much a whole hallway in a wing of the education building here. Uh, and we practice it. And people get to move around roles. You may get to be the IC of a high-rise fire, even if you are a new EMT on an, and on a third service ambulance because that way you get to experience the other side in an educational facility and, and understand that. Because the classes are about 24 persons each, usually you have a deputy or an assistant or a uh, note taker that can assist you because somebody in the room knows that aspect and they can help you through the process and you learn from your peers back to the networking almost as much, sometimes even more so from the instructors. The instructors facilitate the process and then your, your classmates, because we have a, a cross mix from across the country, uh, can help any individual piece. And in many cases, they'll point out, well, in this big city, it's done this way. But in this small town, we reach out in that way. 
and you can go back with more tools, as as some would say, tools in the toolbox. Uh, so those are the two uh, uh, ICS 200 practical application classes for EMS specifically. You have to do other stuff, but we also simulate a lot of other stuff uh, as you go through that. We're in the process of building, we piloted it once, and this, the feedback from the students was such that we had to take it off, uh, off the uh, offerings and go back and rewrite it. Uh, but we're working on rewriting the what was known then as management and planning of specialized operations in EMS, MIPSO. If anyone took that pilot or saw a flyer about it, that has been retitled EMS planning for incidents and events. It's a more accurate title. Uh, it is going to be, it is an ICS 300 practical application class for EMS. It is incident action plans for incidents and events. It's things such as your county fair, things such as the stadium concert, things such as hurricanes are incidents that you can actually plan for and have a template. Uh, things like dignitary VIP visits, etc., and some of them being complex. What have you? What if you have a, a terrorist event inside your county fair? It was a planned event. Now you have an incident. How do those two work together? All those ICS three hundred concepts, but specific to EMS. Yes, again, you're going to get to do other aspects of it. You're going to have to think about the fire side, the hazmat side, the law enforcement side, whatever that is. But filling out the forms and in turn leaving the class with potentially, we haven't set the final number, but 10 different types of incidents and events, templates of IEPs to take back to your jurisdiction and overlap with that. Your homework each night's working on an IEP for an incident or an event for your jurisdiction that is a known ongoing, like every year you have a concert in a stadium or every year you have a race for every four years you have a dignitary visit, whatever that is for your jurisdiction, but you have to identify that before you come to class. And you can take back one specific to your agency as well as all those other templates. So that's EMS incident, EMS planning for incidents and events. And I'm working on that one right now to get back out for a pilot, uh, just in between everything else that's going on here. Uh, another online class that we're working on right now is an emergency management level for EMS, e EMS hazard and disaster planning. And that's going to be an online class with the intent of whoever is doing disaster planning for the EMS agency or EMS portion of an agency needs to speak the same language as your local emergency manager. Very often local emergency management plans, local emergency operations plans have reference to EMS doing stuff, but there isn't great communication between the emergency manager and the EMS person responsible for writing plans. We may not speak the same language. I learned this the hard way being a county EMS deputy chief and a county emergency manager in the same job. I was 50% each. And I learned quickly some of my colleagues on each side of that job didn't quite understand the other side of that job. So we had to, to, to translate in some cases. This class is gonna take, uh, because we're intentionally doing it online. So again, you're back home, you can go sit down with your local emergency manager 
you can sit down with local emergency operations plan and your agency's MCI plan or whatever you call your SOP, SOG for that, and start working together on when there's a disaster that falls into the emergency management realm, what is that expectation? What is that we're going to work together? And a very early ICS concept of we need to know each other and work together before it happens because on scene, you don't want to be trading business cards. Uh, so that's the future of that class, also online and in progress. Uh, at the moment, that covers the system management and the, the incident management EMS classes. We do try to plug EMS in to every other class on campus as appropriate. Uh, I haven't found a way to fit it into fire investigation yet. Not sure if I'm going to pull that off. But community risk reduction. On a regular basis, I'm working with our CRR folks to, because it's not just smoke alarms anymore. It's slips, trips, falls, public health. They're all the same customers when you talk community risk reduction. So we try and plug into those other classes instead of having separate classes. Uh, in hazardous materials, uh, the advanced life support response to hazardous materials incidents is the one place we touch patient care because that goes beyond pretty much any scope of practice across this country, any normal scope of practice across this country. Uh, and it started here at NFA because of the terrorism aspect. A lot of the chemical, biological, radiological potential incidents or real incidents in our history uh, have gone well beyond normal patient care. Uh, so we do that. Uh, we look at, at, at normal responses, as some of our, as some of our listeners uh, know, uh, things like organophosphate poisoning on, in farmlands across our country mimic they're the same agents as chemical warfare agents mm -hmm. so we overlap both aspects of that because we are fema and dhs there is a terrorism aspect to it but there's also a somewhat unfortunately normal response to that but it's still beyond normal in most of our protocols it's just a couple more examples all very important and i, I can't emphasize enough uh I work for a fire-based uh, EMS service, so fortunately, uh, ICS and NIMS is something that has been ingrained uh, with us. But as you move into the more rural areas, uh, in Missouri especially, um, EMS is provided at the ambulance district level, at the county level, um, and they may not work as well with the fire agencies in their jurisdiction, so they may not have that exposure to, to NIMS and ICS. So. Uh, to back up your point, it, it, it may be a situation where they do show up at that incident and the first thing they do, first thing the first ambulance does is grab the first patients they see and off they go. Yeah. Um, so I think um, having those courses to emphasize how EMS integrates into NIMS and ICS uh, is very important just to make that uh, make everyone aware uh, that EMS is part of ICS and how they can play in that ICS sandbox with all the other agencies. Um, so people have been listening to us now for probably 45, 50 minutes, hearing everything that's offered and they're thinking, this sounds, this sounds something, this sounds like something I need to do. I need to get to Emmitsburg. How do, how do the people listening, if they want to, look at these courses, apply for these courses. How do they go about doing so, Mike? The best way to do it is to go to our website. 
the U.S. Fire Administration, the National Fire Academy. If you just go into your favorite search engine and look for the National Fire Academy, Emmitsburg, Maryland, it'll come up quickly. Uh, if you can write fast enough, www.usfa.fema.gov slash NFA. Uh, you can go in and click at the moment, because it changes occasionally at the moment. There's an EMS button or tab across the top. Or you can scroll down a little bit and find your next course pick on the curriculum of EMS. And it'll bring up the whole, all the varieties and possibilities. Pick on a class and uh, read through it. It'll have the, a short description. It'll have prerequisites. It'll have student selection criteria uh, or target audience. Uh, and then it'll have at the bottom of the page a list of dates, locations, if it's off campus. Uh, and if there's an application, uh, if there are seats available at the moment you're looking, it'll have an apply button. So our applications are quarterly based. So we just went through an application period from December 15th to January 15th for classes April through June. Our next application period will be March 15th, April 15th for classes July to August, et cetera. And that, you can find that on the website also. In addition to that, uh, at any time that we have vacancies available, so like right now, we have some vacancies in the April to June classes. Uh, if there are vacancies available, that apply button shows up and you can apply. The, a couple of the key points is read the selection criteria or the target audience. That's who we're looking for in the class. Doesn't matter if you are fire service-based EMS, municipal third service EMS, private EMS, hospital-based EMS, moon-based EMS, I guess I need to start including, I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't matter what, why you're looking. It matters what your job is, what your function is, what your role is, how you fit in. If you have nothing to do with the QA or QI or whatever process in your agency, you shouldn't be applying for the quality management class. On the other hand, for like EMS incident operations, that is built for anybody that responds to an incident and might have to start building that system. And it says that in there. But you still have to put in your application why it applies to you. If you apply for an ICS class and don't mention ICS, they will probably not and accept you. Um, just pretty straightforward. So make it appropriate. Uh, all the prerequisites, look at the prerequisites, include the prerequisites that are necessary. Uh, they're there for a reason. We don't throw them in there just for busy work. Um, and, and all the information can be found. on Also on all of those course web pages, I believe it's the top left. Again, it changes occasionally. Is my contact information for the EMS classes. They're all me. Uh, for other classes on campus, there are other folks. If you're not sure, get in touch with me, and I'll get you to the right folk if, folk person if it's not me. Uh, but my email and phone are there. Uh, my email works great for me because I can answer you as soon as I can get to you. Even if I'm sitting down in the classroom, if students are working on an activity, I can be answering email in the back of the room. I can't return your phone call from the classroom. Uh, so that's just a hint. Uh, but I do get back to people as soon as I can and help you through the process to the best of my ability. Um, but but all the information is there. Okay, so submit the application. How long approximately until they hear back on acceptance or rejection? 
Okay, so if you apply for the the regular quarterly open application periods, that's we actually just switched from semester to quarterly, so we're still figuring out some timeline. But for example, okay. this one closed January 15th with all the background administrative that goes on because we have to check qualifications, we have to go through random selection from across the country, we have to meet the needs for all 50 states and all the locals. Uh, all of that rolled up uh we they notified students of acceptance from that application period uh this is then about 30 days after the end of the application period so by moving to quarterly we were able to shorten that significantly for the vacancies anytime you just apply to an open vacancy that is generally only a business day or two because we've already gone through the whole randomization thing. Vacancies are, we have a seat coming up on short notice. If you can fill it and you're qualified, we want you in that seat. So usually only a business day or two, assuming the right person is, is actually at work. We take vacations also. Okay, so someone's applied, they've been accepted. They get their notification that they've been accepted for whatever date that they've applied. What can they expect as they get ready to come up to Emmitsburg to the National Fire Academy? Um, getting there, what to expect when they get on campus, what to expect from the classics from the campus experience. Okay. Well, even before you get to campus, depending on the class, there may be pre-course work. Like we talked about for quality management, there's uh, you need to identify you need to do uh, a few uh, activities before you get here, including a, 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 pre, a problem statement. So. Sometime before class, you'll get a welcome from me for EMS classes. If there is an online component of the class, you'll also get a welcome from our online folks giving you information on how to log into your online classroom. So you may have to start working on some stuff before you get here. Also on that, on the course webpage, it will reflect, it will show and have a button to click on showing pre-course information uh, for quality management, it just says you'll get notice from someone from the online team to log in. So you may have to start on that before. You'll have information in your acceptance letter, email, as well as in the NETC welcome package on what the rules for travel are. There are certain travel days, generally the day before class starts and the day after class ends, generally speaking. Uh, we do run a shuttle bus to the Baltimore Washington International Airport. Uh, so you would fly into Baltimore and take our shuttle bus at certain times. You have to have ID, et cetera. If you drive, there are certain times you can't get here too early. It is a federal facility. And when, no matter how you get here, there it's a federal facility, so there are rules. You can't bring alcohol, you can't bring weapons, et cetera. Uh, we, when, once you get here, they, they do check your ID. They will do random checks on your vehicles your baggage, it's a federal facility, uh, typical. We are an old college campus, uh, so we have dorms, we have cafeteria, we have classrooms, it's a walking campus. Uh, even in bad weather, our facilities folks are amazing, uh, and you'll be able to walk around campus uh, for all those, all that stuff. We have an on-campus uh, pub, uh, so networking can occur after hours without having to go far. We have a gym. Uh, we're working on expanding that, but that takes budget. You all know how that works, uh, as well as the classrooms. Um, 
reimbursement. Uh, so the courses are, are no cost. Courses at National Fire Academy, you all have already paid for through your tax dollars. All right, so return on your investment, take advantage of it. Uh, the same thing with the dorms. That's, that's you've already paid for it. Everyone has to pay for their food. Uh, that it doesn't matter if you're the superintendent of the National Fire Academy, you got to buy your lunch. Right. Travel is dependent on your agency. If you are state or local government, we will reimburse you for your travel, either by mileage or by airfare, uh, within the rules in that NATC welcome package of you got to buy them certain time periods, certain types of tickets. Uh, you can't tour the nation on your way to NFA if you drive. If you're from Missouri, we don't expect to stop in Arizona. Uh, stuff like that, fairly basic rules, uh, and we'll reimburse for that. Uh, if you are not from state or local government agency, we do not reimburse the travel. We call it a stipend, and that is the only difference in the cost. Uh, and all of that is explained both on our website and in the NATC welcome package. Again, if anyone isn't sure where to find those things, email me and I'll send you the direct links. Once you're on campus, all settled in, et cetera, classes are generally 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday to Friday. Six-day classes do run Sunday through Friday. So like EMS Incident Operations or EMS Quality Management start at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. Uh, please pay attention to those when you're signing up for classes on what, what days they run. Uh, and... Some of them are full classes. Quality management generally runs right up to five o'clock. EMS incident operations sometimes runs till six because if we're in the middle, we're in the middle of a wildland fire, we don't put the fire out at 459 just because the clock says so. Sometimes it runs a little later. Uh, you go through the week uh, with all the parts and pieces. And then at the end of class, we present certificates and you're on your way. You do have in the syllabus, and in the materials, we do provide the rubrics for the grading. So you have that information ahead of time. We have no surprises. Uh, we work with you as you go through, give you all, we really give you everything you need to be successful because we want you to take back and apply it. Uh, and then you go home with 23 new friends or including instructors and myself, uh, 26 new friends, uh, and hopefully uh, intent to sign up for another class. I can just emphasize that the on-campus experience at the National Fire Academy is it, it, it's unparalleled. Um, the professionalism, not only of the staff, uh, the instructors, and then the networking opportunities is um, second to none. Um, that's one of the things that keeps me coming back to the National Fire Academy. That's one of the things uh, that you should uh, hope to gain out of coming up to the National Fire Academy. Um, Mike, I think we've covered just about everything. Um, is there anything uh, else that you want to uh, impart on our listeners uh, who may be considering um, coming up to the National, or at least looking into classes at the National Fire Academy now that we've been talking for about an hour or so? I would just like to encourage people to take advantage of the opportunity like you just mentioned and you mentioned earlier, the networking, the learning, the experiences are the key. And now that we can provide some practical application to things you can take back and implement, hopefully quickly, but sometimes it takes time, 
uh, are the keys to what we do here and online with the Na- and and our classes across the country with the National Fire Academy. You, you hit the key. I came here as a student between National Fire Academy and Emergency Management Institute almost a dozen times, and it kept me coming back to the point that I was interested in working here and helping others with the same thing. And that's honestly what keeps me here. The administrative side of this, I have no interest in that. Interacting with the students and helping you all uh, network amongst each other and make improvements back in your jurisdictions. Uh, Mark, I, I can't ca- I can't count how many times I've driven through your jurisdiction across uh, 270 there, going from yep. East Coast, West Coast, West Coast to East Coast. Uh, I had no idea what you all were capable of. Hey, now I know a little more. When I drive this stretch of road, I, I, I'm more comfortable. Uh, even if it's that simple when you talk about networking, let alone we can reach out and say, hey, who has a policy on this? Who's dealt with that problem? Because we were all in class together. It may not be perfectly fitting, but I can adapt it because we do like acquiring from each other across fire and EMS. Take advantage of the opportunities early in your career, early in your profession. It will only grow to help you. Absolutely. And I have done that on numerous occasions when I've had an issue here or one of my colleagues here has had an issue. I've reached out to folks in class. And one of the things that you mentioned at the uh, at the beginning, the fact that you have people from all over the country, you get different perspectives from different areas of the country. While they may not be applicable to you in your jurisdiction, there is something that you can pull from that and make applicable to your jurisdiction. Um, so that uh, that benefit alone is is uh, invaluable. Um, before we wrap up, just a couple things. Mike mentioned it earlier. The website for the uh, National Fire Academy, www.usfa.fema.gov backslash NFA. Once again, www.usfa.fema.gov backslash NFA. And you can find the, the courses uh, that Mike discussed. Uh, they can list them by curriculum, list them by, uh, you can look for keyword, class names, whatever. Um, the National Fire Academy also has presence on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, so you can find them on social media, follow them if you're so inclined. Um, as Mike mentioned, if you look under the EMS curriculum, uh, his contact information is going to be in the upper left-hand corner uh, of all the on all the classes. So if you click on your um Emergency Medical Services Quality Management, for instance, right there at the top is Mike's uh, top left is his phone number. Click on his name and it'll open up his email address. If uh, you don't mind sharing uh, your email address with us, Michael, in case somebody wants to get a hold of you without uh, with any other questions. My email is Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Stern, S-T-E-R-N at fema.dhs.gov. All right. Uh, Michael, before we wrap up, one question that I usually ask folks that that appear with us, um, not really having to do with EMS or the Navy or anything, what's the last book that you read? Wow. It can be an audio book too, if you listen to audio books. 
I, I know it's kind of pitiful, but I can't remember the last name of the last book I read. That's okay. <laughs> and it, and it definitely wasn't related to EMS. It was it was related to radio gear. I'm an amateur radio operator. Okay. Uh, it was related to radio gear and um, uh, signal intelligence uh, receiving different types of uh, radio transmissions. All right. Well, Michael, once again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, uh, this information is valuable to some of our listeners, and they take the time to go to the website and uh, and apply for these classes. Um, I, I if if you choose to apply and attend the National Fire Academy, I I firmly believe you will not be disappointed, and you will be back. Uh, the NFA is uh, on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Uh, so feel free to give them a follow. Uh, our podcast social social media is on Instagram, not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast. Once again, at not underscore a underscore fib underscore podcast. And you can reach us by email at not dot a dot fib dot podcast at gmail.com. Once again, not dot a dot fib dot podcast at gmail.com. Mike, once again, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate the great information um, and uh, wish you the best of luck at the NFA. And I hope to see you back uh, again real soon. Thank you very much, Mark. We look forward to having you back as well as uh, all of your listeners. Uh, say hi. And when you come here and let me know that you, that you heard us on here. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next month. Goodbye.